At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy, and we will be joined in a little bit by Baylor coach Steve Rodriguez, who is here to talk about the Baylor Bears, a team that Joe and I uh, find very interesting this fall. So we're going straight to the source, going to find out more about the Bears as we look ahead to the 2022 season, uh, which is coming up faster than you know it. It is Thanksgiving week. Uh, so we'll also play a little bit of a, a Thanksgiving game as it relates to college baseball here on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, it's uh, Thanksgiving week. Like I mentioned, uh, we skipped last week on the podcast. It was a busy deadline week at Baseball America. The Almanac went to press. Uh, so if you're interested in this year's Baseball America Almanac, uh, go over to baseballamerica.com and you can you can pre-order and it uh, they'll they'll ship that straight to you as soon as it's ready. Uh, but Joe, we are we are happily past that almanac deadline. We're uh, we're rolling on through some other print deadlines, uh, and, and we are back here on the podcast as as we come to you here on Thanksgiving week. So if you're firing this podcast up on your way on your way home, uh, on your way to your grandmother's house on your way to your kid's house. I don't know where, wherever you're going for Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're, if you're, if you're doing this on your drive, we, uh, we appreciate you. We are thankful for you and hopefully we can uh, help pass some of that, some of that drive time. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, you ever notice Thanksgiving week? Um, and now that I do this job, uh, you know, I have a little bit more, it adds a layer to it, but Thanksgiving week really, I feel like is, is, is a transitional week in the sporting calendar, at least as, as to the sports I pay closest attention to. It's obviously the traditionally outside of Army Navy conference championship stuff. It is the final week of the college football regular season. They, they play, I know the egg bowl is now played on Thanksgiving. Traditionally, there are a, a typically a pretty good 
slate of games on Friday, on Black Friday, and then, of course, a, a full Saturday slate. It also, even though technically college basketball starts the Tuesday, you know, the Champions Classic, we talked about that, I think, on a previous episode, how it's kind of a weird start for college basketball. I've always found the spiritual start of college basketball is Thanksgiving week. Maui Invitational usually gets played then. Battle for Atlantis gets played then. The big tournaments typically are Thanksgiving week, um, feast week, as they call it, for marketing purposes on ESPN. And then obviously this is not um, as apparent to the consumer that you listening to this might not be aware of this, but Thanksgiving and, and the week after really is kind of a transition time in the way that we prepare for the college baseball season. Like it's when we start to prepare to send stuff out to get information back on teams. It's, you know, we're, we're gathering preseason All-American candidates. We are starting to think about, you know, assignments for preseason, you know, magazine content and who's going to do what. And it, it really does feel like that's the, the turning point. We're rounding third and, and heading for home, I guess, if you want to use an actual baseball metaphor here. And Thanksgiving is that kind of the third base bag, if you will. And so again, uh, as, a, as a consumer, you might not be aware of that, but just know kind of behind the scenes, this is when, for me, a flip gets switched a little bit. Uh, switch gets flipped there we go um <laughs> switch gets flipped uh and, and we start to really get into preparation mode i mean we've talked a big game the last few weeks about hey it's coming it's coming but but really i find with the passing of thanksgiving um is when things really do start to change which i found interesting just kind of dovetails with what i've always thought about college football and basketball which is where this is like a, a transitional time in those calendars yeah, this is for college sports, kind of the passing, the baton week for most college football teams. Um, it's over after this week. And, you know, Joe is an FCS grad, knows that they're already done. They're they're on to uh, they're they're moving into playoff action here. Um, am I correct in that? I have I said that very confidently yeah. because yeah. I know the Ivy League and the Patriot League finished last weekend. Does everyone finish last weekend? Yeah, the, the playoff bracket is out. Um, Sam Houston State Bearcats, the number one overall seed, um, incidentally. Reddit um, champs. That's right. They're looking, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I have thought about if they win a national title here this fall, does that just feel like one national title? You know, yes. like, it's almost like in, in, the, in the record books, it should just be like, okay, you know what? They defended their title. Let's just call it one. And then we'll, and we'll just, everyone will agree that it was a particularly impressive feat, but we'll just count it as one. Um, but yes, so yeah, FCS playoffs underway, which is not, by the way, like as even before I went to an FCS school and started paying more attention to those types of things, um, the FCS playoffs are just a really nice thing to have on like after conference championship games have happened, but before the bowl games start, like there's always that middle weekend, like there's army Navy weekend and there's kind of a middle weekend after that. And the FCS playoffs are usually on that weekend. So it's just like a really nice thing to like, let me check in on the Montana Grizzlies, you know, or the Eastern Washington, or, you know, name your typical FCS power program, the Dakota schools, name your FCS power program here. But um, so for, you know, as long as I can remember those playoffs, even back when they were called one double a have just really occupied a really nice place in the uh, sports landscape when the, the content is certainly needed. Yes. Yeah, so we're, uh, like Joe mentioned, we're we're moving on as uh, as we prep our our more preseason coverage, kind of begin to transition out of off season. Though that won't really become apparent until the new year. But uh, yeah, behind the scenes, we are we are moving along into some more preseason stuff. But here on the podcast, still the off season, we're still coming to you once a week. Last week accepted, of course. 
but we are providing you with the Thanksgiving week podcast, which I mean, I'm not here to denigrate any other podcasts, but I know a lot of people take Thanksgiving week off and, and here we are with the Thanksgiving week episode. So take that this American life. We're, yeah, we're, we're making up for last <laughs> week. Uh, so we come here once a week. Uh, we, we typically have a guest from around the college baseball world. This week, that happens to be Baylor head coach Steve Rodriguez. Um, so if you're interested in those, uh, make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast, which you can find on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us and hit that subscribe button, that follow button, and it'll uh, just pop right into your phone once a week. Uh, so this week, like I said, Steve Rodriguez, Baylor just missed the tournament last year, uh, was in fact designated the uh, team number 65, the first team out of the field. And we're going to get into how uh, their, their slide to the run side of the bubble happened and then look ahead to, to next year. Because like I said, Joe and I find the Bears to be a really intriguing team the more we dig into them. And I think that uh, is still going to hold up once we've, uh, once we've done that with Steve Rodriguez. I, I like what the Bears have coming back, what they brought in, what this team potentially could be in the Big 12 in 2022. So we're going to get into all of that and more with Coach Rodriguez in a second. But first, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Baylor coach Steve Rodriguez. Uh, The Bears are coming off of uh, a season that saw them finish just on the wrong side of the NCAA tournament bubble, but looking ahead to 2022 should be a pretty intriguing year 
uh, for Baylor baseball. It's part of why we wanted to, to talk with you today, Coach Rodriguez, and, and we appreciate you uh, you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for uh, just allowing me to be on and inviting me to be here. So let, let's dive into this uh, where last season ended. Um, you lost. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, you, you finished the season uh, in, in a bit of a slide. Um, and you went from kind of bubble in to bubble out over the last couple of weeks. What, you know, wh- wh- where do you, wh- where do you look at that now as in terms of, is it a tool to learn from? Have you wanted those guys to flush it? You know, how are you, how have you reacted to the way last season ended? I'll be honest with you, even talking to our administration, um, you know, I, I told our guys, it was just a very unfortunate incident. The last couple of weeks, uh, you know, we, we just had COVID issues and, you know, everybody was like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, yeah, we, we did one weekend. We had 10 guys out Then we had our, uh, two of our weekend starters out. And so we were literally just trying to piecemeal it together as best we could and still trying to stay as competitive as, as possible. And the hard part was if we would have gotten into a regional, um, those guys would have been back with us. Like we had, uh, we had a, a slight injury with, with Helton and he would have been back for the regional and uh, Tyler Thomas, uh, you know, had COVID and he would have been back by the regional. It was just the timing of it was just atrocious. And uh, I thought, our, to be honest, I thought our guys just did a great job kind of competing and dealing with the, the hand that they were dealt and they played well. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma came in the last weekend and I thought we just, we played well. We just could not get that the hit uh, to score the winning run uh, later in the game in the past couple of games. So, uh, I was happy with what what they did, considering the circumstances and uh, the dubious honor of being the 65th team. And if somebody gets COVID, which is the ironic thing, um, we would have gotten to go in. And it's like I told our guys, nobody's going to be getting COVID at this time. So don't worry about it. We we are not getting in. So, um, you know, I I told them to flush it as quickly as they can, get after it and be ready to play this year. That's actually interesting. If, if you don't mind, I'd actually like to ask a little question about that in between time, because you were team 65, you know, there was this thing we, we actually saw it in basketball where they, you know, uh, th- that was called for and almost ended up, they, there were a lot of things that, that could happen there, but what was that week after? Like you said, you mentioned to your guys, Hey, it's, it's not going to happen. We're not, we're not in, but I imagine there was a part of you though, that had to be ready for that. So how did you, how did you kind of treat those next couple of days just on the idea that, you know, it's not likely, but we could theoretically get a call here. I'll be very honest with you. I, I knew that we were not going to have that issue. Um, we had end of the year meetings uh, the next two days after that. And I let our guys go home. Uh, it was just that simple. I did not overthink it. And I did not try to say, Hey, we still have a chance. Um, if something popped up, absolutely. You know, we had a couple of days with our guys still here. Um, but I wasn't like forcing our guys to go through practice and, you know, try to get like prepared for a regional but what's funny is like when NC State had their issue, I was like, hey, we're the 65th team, so now we're ready to go. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just thought it was just, you know, the irony of the whole thing was just kind of funny. Well, hopefully we're past those sorts of issues now as, as we look to, uh, to 2022. This, uh, this fall, everyone comes back. Um, obviously, it's some guys out on the Cape over the summer and, and various other places. What, uh, you know, what was the energy around the team as, uh, as the fall got underway this, this, uh, this semester? You know, I'll tell you what, our guys were really, uh, they were really excited. They were energized. Some guys went out and played. Uh, we actually kept some guys back uh, because they just needed to get stronger. 
uh, when they came in, you know, and especially for guys that, that came in last year, um, it just wasn't your, you know, stereotypical fall where we can get a good strength conditioning program in. And so it was really important for us to make sure that they have the strength coming into it. Uh, you know, guys like, like Kyle Nevin, Trey Richardson and Jack Pineda, they stayed back and they worked out, worked with our nutritionist and, uh, they were, it was, it's been one of the greatest things I think we've done in a long time in regards to, uh, making that decision because the ball's coming off their bat significantly harder. They're significantly stronger and it is absolutely showing in everything they do on the field. You mentioned, um, a little bit, you mentioned a couple guys there in Trey Richardson yeah. and Jack Pineda. I actually wanted to, to ask about, I think it's quietly one of the better middle infield duos out there. Um, what are the next steps for those guys? What have you seen from them and, and what makes them a good tandem up the middle? I think the biggest thing was for Trey. I mean, he graduated early out of high school. So he came in in January where typically a high school freshman would have the fall to get stronger and, and get used to everything. Well, he hit the ground running in January and, you know, he doesn't have the, the ability to get the strength conditioning program in. And then all of a sudden, boom, COVID hits. And so he doesn't have that opportunity to do that. And then when we come back from COVID, you know, it's a non-traditional strength conditioning segment. And so like he had almost like a year and a half of, I, I don't want to say, it's just a more of a maintenance and, and kind of a, a lack of strength. Uh, and so it was really important for him to do that. And so that's one of the things that I think was most important for him was to gain that strength, to be the full grown man that he can be like he is now and uh, really be able to attack the baseball. I mean, it, it's been really impressive watching him hit. And, you know, the same thing with Jack, the, the same thing, you know, I, I just think that these kids have, have played a lot of baseball and pretty soon it's really just about getting the body to mature, simplifying your movements, and then making good decisions on the baseball field. And those two have great instincts. Like they are so fun to work with. They, they understand like where I'm coming from with a lot of things. If I get upset, they completely get it. Uh, but it's really hard to get upset with those guys because there's never an opportunity where I go, Oh my gosh, what were you thinking? I can totally understand what they were thinking. Obviously, you know, just because one, I was a middle infielder, but two, I know where their heart is and I know where their energy is and I know they're doing everything they can to help a team win. Jared McKenzie, another crucially important player to this team over the last couple of years. What is it that makes him such a special hitter? And, and is there, is there another gear or is, uh, have, have we seen, uh, you know, kind of the full Jared McKenzie experience at this point? I'll tell you what, I don't know if you've seen the full Jared McKenzie yet. I mean, his arm has gotten significantly stronger. His power has really started to develop this year and he's turned himself in, in my opinion, into a top round. I mean, I'm talking like one compensation to uh, round pick. I mean, it might go as high as one. I mean, there's a lot of guys who really like him because he looks like he won't, like he, he's not a burner, but he plays like he is in the outfield and he runs the bases like faster than he, than he, than his times might show. I mean, he's just a good all around baseball player who uh, is really coming in. Like he, he's coming into his own in regards to his body maturity, uh, the ability to understand the strike zone, where he hits the ball well, what he's able to do. I mean, smashing balls the other way, pulling home runs. I mean, it, it's watching him go about that process and seeing him do that during practice and in the inner squads and in some of the uh, games that we've had has been really impressive. 
one place where you have an interesting competition is at, at catcher with Andy Thomas having departed. And while Teddy and I have talked about this, you will, you will probably never be able to replace uh, the sense of humor of an Andy Thomas, who is one of the funnier <laughs> guys I've ever interviewed. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in his actual play behind the plate at the plate, he was obviously extremely productive for you. So what's been the nature uh, of that competition and, and who are you looking at at that position? Well, we have quite a few, quite a few guys that are, Overall, like they, they, they make themselves into pretty good baseball players. Harrison Cayley, who is the twin brother of Cam Cayley, who is like a left-handed pitcher for us. Um, he, he came out and just did an unbelievable job against the Rangers instructional league team. And so that was really positive to see. And then Ian Groves is a, a transfer from Tarleton state who I, I just, when you meet him, you're like, Oh my gosh, you are an outstanding young man. And he has some freak show power at the plate. And he's done a really good job of just working behind the plate as well. And then we have a returner named Nick Balsano, who um, unfortunately he's had to play behind, you know, like five years of all Americans, um, you know, with Shea Langoliers and Andy Thomas back there. And so um, he's, you know, he's a guy who we're looking to offensively and defensively because he's been in the program for three years now, and uh, he's going to have an opportunity to win that spot. On the mound, you've got a couple of experienced guys back uh, in Tyler Thomas and, and Blake Helton. What, um, how are those guys looking as as we look to the spring? And, and who else are you looking for to to step up into rotation uh, or or close to to rotation weekend arms? You know, I'll tell you what this this is one of those fun years where <clears throat> nothing is clear cut for us. Um, and I say fun because we have Tyler Thomas and Blake Helton, who are returning starters, who give us just some the anchoring ability of a weekend, you know, where, you know, okay, we're going to have two solid uh, weekend starters, but then you throw in guys like uh, Jake Jackson, uh, the transfer from UNR, uh, Matt Volker from Loyola Marymount, and then Brett Garcia, a JC transfer from California. When you bring those guys in and you see the success that they've had at their previous institutions and they come here and they're a part of our strength conditioning program and they get, you know, get after it in the weight room. And then Coach Strauss gets a hold of them in the bullpens and, you know, starts teaching them the, the intricacies of pitching and what they do well and what the numbers show them. And then pitching to those strengths, um, I, I think the options and then I'll be honest, there's a couple there's a couple uh, wild cards. That I think like Will Rigney is a guy who I think is going to have a bust out year um, after, you know, kind of dealing with a couple of, uh, you know, unforeseen injuries that we've kind of had to manage. You know, and then Cam Cayley is another young man who I think has a really good opportunity on the mound as well. You mentioned Jake Jackson. I actually wanted to ask a specific question about him. I mean, first of all, how excited is he to not be pitching in the thin, in the thin air of Rito? I mean, in the Mountain West, those you know, the numbers aren't always uh, pretty, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast there. But um, what have you seen from him, not only as he is in a more hospitable environment for pitching, but also, I mean, he's making a step up in, in competition level. I'll tell you what he, he I mean, the energy level he brings, the excitement that he brings, um, it, it's really been impressive. He comes here and he, I mean, I told him, I said, Hey, look, there's a lot of wind here. You're going to be playing in, you know, some different environments in regards to weather. And, and he's like, coach, man, I, I was up in Reno. It can't get much worse than that. You know, trying to pitch up in there, but I, you know, he, he absolutely loves it. He knows he's going to have a defense that plays really well behind him and an opportunity to, to, you know, play at a power five school and, and, uh, you know, literally just, you know, pitch for a conference championship. 
you, know, you mentioned playing for a conference championship, obviously in the big 12, that's always uh, the expectation for Baylor, but also it's never easy with, with schools like Texas and, and tech and, and Oklahoma state and just how competitive the whole conference is, is uh, you know, as you look at it this year, are you expecting some more of the same in, in the conference and kind of just what, what's been your view since you came into the big 12 a few years ago now? Well, the view is you just don't have an opportunity to breathe, you know, every weekend, you have to play well. Um, you have to not lose is the easiest way to put it. You need to play good defense. You need to pitch well, and you need to get timely hitting. If you can, uh, if you can get the two out hits, you know, late in the game, you know that, that those are going to be keys. And I, I just think that is the biggest thing that I've seen coming here is that you don't have the opportunity to take weekends off. You can't go, oh, okay, we can we can take it easier. Guys can take a breath because every weekend you're facing guys that are throwing ninety five to one hundred. Uh, whether they're starting or coming out of the bullpen, you know, you're going to be dealing with first rounders uh, pretty much throughout this conference um, on the weekends and, and in the position players. So, um, you know, and that's kind of how we approach it. Like we, we had a couple of great opportunities uh, to kind of get that conference uh, championship. And, you know, we ran into some small injury issues and but I'll tell you what, uh, we're getting close. In a, uh, what I would describe as a shocking example of how fast time flies. You were going into your seventh season in Waco. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir there a little bit in terms of time, <laughs> time flying. Um, you know, now that you've had that kind of time, though, uh, when, when you look back on it now, what, what are some things maybe about being at Baylor, being in, in Waco um, that you you didn't know at the time that, that you know now? What are some, some some things learned that you tell people about being in Waco and coaching at Baylor? Oh, man, I only have 30 minutes. Is that right? Is that what we got? On <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. So yeah, we're, I know we're, that's putting okay. me in an impossible spot here. Okay. So um, I'll tell you what the community that the, the campus brings uh, the professors, the people who work here um, just by having a daughter who has come here and graduated from here. My son is currently a, a junior here. I get like a firsthand uh, a witness of watching the professors interact with uh, the students and the student athletes and how they treat them. And, you know, my daughter is getting married next month and I think she has two or three professors who are going to be at the wedding. Uh, so that just kind of like lets you know the impact that the people in, you know, in this university have on these kids. And, and I'll be honest, the, the, the way of life, the simplicity that people kind of go through their days, there's no rush. Um, like in California, I had to, I, I was here, when, when I first got here, I showed up to different events, like 45 minutes to an hour early all the time. Cause I'm so used to leaving so early at traffic and here, everything was like 20 minutes away and it was great. Um, you know, and the, the value that they put into their athletics teams, uh, what the administration does to, to give these student athletes, everything that they can possibly have to succeed, whether it's in the classroom or on the field. I mean, everything always has the student athlete first uh, in mind. And that for me is just one of the most impressive things that any institution can do. You, uh, you mentioned before, just kind of in passing that you guys played the Rangers scout team uh, this fall. That's, that's been kind of a cool thing that the Rangers have done in, in recent years, playing some, some of the, the programs in Texas with some of their prospects. Uh, what do you find is, is beneficial from that experience? And, and, and what do, what are your guys, uh, you know, it, it's just different from playing another college team. What are, what do they talk about when you guys go into one of those games? You know, the big thing that you tell them is one, like it was kind of weird because you're playing against what either our former players or, uh, players that we recruited. And so that is always interesting. You're like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. I recruited that guy. 
Um, but the big thing is when you see guys who are just getting some work in, um, and I told them, like, you need to look at them, like, look at their physiques. They're big, they're strong. You know, they either throw hard, run fast, have power. I mean, all of them have a tool that separates them from a lot of people. And that's what I always try to preach to our guys is like, what's your tool that's going to separate you? Like, what do you do well that is better than anybody else in the country? And if you don't have that answer, then, then we have a problem. And so that's the biggest thing is go through uh, your day and understand like, what can I do better than everybody else and perfect that craft? And that's what professional baseball players try to do is they try to perfect that craft. You mentioned uh, Baylor athletics doing very well right now. The football team certainly uh, riding high right now, competing in the big 12 and, and the basketball team, the men's basketball team coming off of uh, a national championship. Uh, what, uh, what was that like watching them last spring and, and now as they, uh, as they go to work trying to uh, win another one of those titles? I'll tell you what, if you ever had the opportunity to meet coach Drew, um, you would understand like what all the hype is all about. Uh, one of the most amazing men, a, a godly man. Um, I mean, and if I, if I called him right now and said, Hey, I need some help with some, he's like, I'm on my way. And he wouldn't even know where I was. He would just get in his car and start driving, you know? And that's the thing is like, he, he wastes no time letting people know that, um, he has a servant's heart and he is going to do everything he can for you to, to help you with whatever it is. And you see that and how he coaches and how his assistants coach and, and how their team plays. And it's, it's really admirable because it's, it's not common um, how he does it. And, and that's one of the great things. And that's what I love about the guy is that um, he, he's a great guy off the, off the court and he's, but he's that same guy on the court. So you don't get two different human beings that you have to deal with. We will begin to wrap here with an important question. We, we always ask our guests at the end. We've, we started doing this recently, asking uh, a food question. But given that we're coming up on Thanksgiving, it seems like that's a, a great time to ask <laughs> something like this. So, uh, again, putting you in a tough spot because this is a, probably the toughest question that, that anyone could ever ask. But, uh, Coach Rodriguez, what is your favorite part of a traditional Thanksgiving meal? My favorite part of a traditional Thanksgiving meal. I don't know if it's really about food. You know, and I'm a, and I'm a big food guy. And that's, that's, that's a lot for me to say that, um, you know, I, I love obviously the Turkey. I'm a huge pumpkin pie and banana cream pie guy. Um, mm. but the biggest thing for me is literally having the opportunity to sit with family, with friends, um, with people from our neighborhood who all come over and not have to worry about working, not have to worry about the stress uh, of the season, but just really just sit and enjoy uh, company and the atmosphere and the weather and um, anything else of whether you're going hunting or not, like all those opportunities to, to hang out with the people who are most important in your life. And in my, in my opinion is the greatest part about Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Has that changed at all coming to Waco versus when you were in Southern California or is uh, you know, has, have those kind of traditions existed no matter where, which location you've been at? Well, I think the bigger thing here is that it's just easier. Uh, my in-laws have, have moved out here um, and most of my wife's family has actually moved out to Texas. So it has become easier where in California, you could be, you know, 25 miles away and it'll take you two and a half hours to get there. And just so I think sometimes the stress of just getting where you're going or getting home from where you went um, is probably the more stressful part of all of it, where here those stresses don't exist. And that's one of the greatest things that those are, those are some of the big changes that we've really noticed as a family. Um, and just as the culture of central Texas, a couple of rapid fire food ones here at Thanksgiving, uh, white meat or dark meat, white, 
white meat. I'm, I'm with you there. I, you know, I, that that's kind of, I feel that the white meat's a little more versatile too. It's like good on a sandwich as leftovers. Like, yeah, it takes on the flavor of whatever you've got it with. So I'm, I'm with you there. Do you call it stuffing or dressing? Um, I think there's a difference there. Is there? I, I'm probably, um, I'm, I'm, exposing I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there is a difference. Um, I was told that if there's, I'm trying to think of exactly what it was, but if you add something to it, it is called stuffing. Oh, here it is. If you actually put it in the turkey, mm. it is considered stuffing. If it is not in the turkey and it's on the side, it is called a dressing. Oh, how about that? Coach is coaching us up, Teddy. How about that? We learned a little something today. <laughs> you got again, constant, co- constantly learning, right? That, that's constantly right. Exactly. Learning, the learner's mindset. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What else? Do you, are you a cranberry sauce guy? That's an important one too. I have recently become a cranberry sauce person. I grew up hating cranberry sauce just because of the look. Um, but when you become, uh, when you actually have the opportunity to have homemade cranberry sauce, it is game changing. Maybe I'll ask another ignorant question then. Like, what do you, what, what do you do with it? You have the cranberry sauce and, and then what? Well, the cranberry sauce, you can actually mix with a little bit of anything to give it a little bit of sweet and a little bit of tart. So you can, mm-hmm. instead of always putting gravy on everything, which obviously is always awesome. Uh, you can put it on your Turkey. You can mix it in with your stuffing or dressing. Um, you know, it, it kind of gives, uh, some things that may not have a ton of flavor, just a little more flavor. Okay. Are you, uh, do you enjoy the parade or are you, are you a no parade guy? Thanksgiving day parade? I, I am a no parade guy. I have yeah. never really been a parade guy, to be honest with you. Yeah. Fair enough. Sometimes, you know, I, you know, I didn't know if maybe like when you had kids, there's a little bit of an appeal there when the kids are little, you know, like they're my, cause that's the way it was in my family. But like once my siblings who are younger than me kind of aged out of it is when we stopped paying as, as much attention to it. But there was a little bit of an appeal when the kids were young. Well, I think when I was younger and there's not a lot of stuff on TV and it was always the Thanksgiving day parade, <laughs> right? you right. know, and you're watching it over and over again, or for hours upon hours, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm good on the parade scene. <laughs> I hear you. I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you. I'll sit in front of it for a couple of minutes, every Thanksgiving, and then kind of wonder why I'm, why it's on, you know, <laughs> I'm just not as, until the football games come on, I guess it gives you something to watch. Right. Or it's just kind of the background, you know, white noise that, uh, that people kind of have on their, on their TVs. That's right. While you're, while you're cooking. That's exactly right. I think, yes. you, I think you nailed it there. All right. Well, we are excited, first of all, for Thanksgiving, <laughs> but we are also excited to see the bears on the field in 2022. So coach Rodriguez, we really appreciate you joining us here on the baseball America college podcast to, to break down Baylor as, uh, as we look ahead to next spring. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I absolutely love doing it. Uh, I love the fact that you are doing this. And whenever you want to do this, whenever you need questions answered for me, please don't hesitate to ask. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you again to Baylor coach Steve Rodriguez for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, I before we started this interview, before we even did this interview, when we were just talking offline, we both were just talking about how we were interested in Baylor and find them to be an intriguing team. Having talked with Steve Rodriguez, are you further in on Baylor or are you now thinking there are more questions about Baylor than you realized? Definitely more in, you know, he's got, you kind of get a feel for this. And sometimes you, you, you will get, I don't want to say sold a bill of goods because that implies kind of some nefarious action, but sometimes you'll talk to coaches in the preseason and, and you can just 
tell when there's a quiet confidence about what a coach has. And that's kind of the feeling I got after talking with coach Rod and they have a lot of reason to be Um, obviously this team is good, but also, I mean, this is a program that's been, you know, really, really consistent ever since coach Rod and his staff took over. They're kind of one of those programs. I was this way a little bit, although Baylor, obviously a, a much better recent history of getting into the postseason where their, their floor is pretty high and they're always probably about 25% better than you think they are. They don't typically have the splashy names. Shay Langelier is obviously accepted. Um, although interestingly, you know, he was uh, recruited before they got Nick there. I don't want Nick Lofton short either. Yeah, Nick Lofton, good call. Good call. Um, you know, but you compare it to some of the other programs that are in the postseason as, as consistently as they are. And they're not really going to be the flashiest thing. They haven't put up the flashiest records. Um, they don't really have that standout team. The 2019 team was very, very good. Um, but, you know, uh, so they're, there's kind of an easy team to overlook. And I think I was guilty of that last year where, you know, if you'd have told me in uh, April or even early May that, you know, Baylor's going to be as close to the postseason as they were, I kind of would have gone like, really? I, you know, I wouldn't have guessed that just because they, they flew so much under the radar and they, you know, a lot of it was they did, they did that thing that you can do in major conferences where, you know, if you win the games, you're, if you take care of the series, you're supposed to take care of them, and then you don't get swept in the series against the teams that are considerably better than you, you're going to be okay in those major conferences for the most part. And they, they very nearly pulled that off and obviously had that slide that we talked to or, or talked about uh, with Coach Rod uh, at the end of the season that ended up doing them in. Um, but so this is just kind of what they do. And I think if you assume they have a pretty low floor of a team that's going to push to be on the bubble and then you look at what they have coming back, like I think this is a team that's going to be much closer to what we saw in 2019. Uh, and if things break right, could even be better uh, than that group. Uh, they're going to be much closer to that, I think, than what they were last year, which was which was a bubble team that, that ultimately – um, yes, they were getting people back at the right time had they got into the postseason, but that wasn't a team that was really setting the world on fire before the end of the season rolled around. Yeah, I it I I agree that I am more in right now. Um I do have some questions, but like look, they were a a, a bubble team last year. They were a 500 team in the Big 12. They're actually below 500, but if we spot them like a win or two, those, those final weeks a they would have gotten into the field and b but like you know they were they were a close to 500 big 12 team last year so obviously there are some degree of questions coming out of that um the big 12 this year obviously texas looking like the preseason number one team in the country means that there's a big behemoth in the conference but after that it feels a little bit more open than sometimes it is you know texas tech has a lot of questions to answer Oklahoma State has a whole lot of new faces. Um, you know, TCU has a lot of new faces starting in the dugout. Uh, you know, so there, there's room for a team like a Baylor to, with some of the questions of their own, you know, if they find the right answers, there aren't, there, there's no reason why they couldn't, uh, you know, make a, a big jump this next year in the Big 12 standings. And uh, whether that means they push Texas or not, you know, I, they, they certainly, there, there is, plenty of room for upward movement within the big 12, but certainly on, on a larger factor in terms of, is this a tournament team or not? There's, you know, that's, the, the, there are the pieces there for that. I'm really interested in what Jared McKenzie does this year. He did not have a great summer on the Cape. Uh, it was kind of the first place that he's really hit more of a prolonged slump, uh, at least in college baseball, but I would guess kind of like ever. Uh, so getting, 
getting him back, uh, you know, the, just to hit in the way he's hit always for the Bears uh, is going to be pretty significant. And, and if uh, he's able to lead the line, lead the lineup, uh, that would be that would be big news for them. And you know, you, you heard some of the the talk about the pitching staff got some experienced arms back, but got some guys that that maybe could step into bigger roles and you know some newcomers that they're excited about. So. I'm very interested in, in how that all comes together. But one thing that that has been pretty consistent at Baylor is that, you know, pitching and defense are, are going to be solid and they're going to they're going to do fundamental things well on, on all sides of the ball. Yeah, I, you know, my biggest concern is is kind of on the mound. I'm just not I just really I, re- I want them to have a dude on the mound, like a real Friday guy. And I don't want to short Tyler Thomas because his stuff is plenty good. He's had good moments. It seemed like last year in a full season, he, his, his command was better. Um, you know, he's had command issues in the past. Seemed like that was better. Um, you know, there got, you know, we heard uh, Coach Rod talk about, you know, Will Rigney, and he certainly came to campus as the type of guy who could be that guy. Injuries have scuttled that to this point. So we'll see on that. The thing about it is, though, is that Baylor has not necessarily been that type of even before coach rod have really never been that type with some exceptions of course uh, mark mccormick obviously 2005 you go way back to jason jennings you know they, but they've had some you know um uh turley on the 2012 team um, they've had some guys who have had some really good pitching performances but they've never necessarily been the team that has the dudes on the front of the rotation uh, as as much as some other places so and especially under Coach Rod, again, you know, Cody Bradford is really good in 2019. I don't want to short him. Um, but what they've done a good job of, you know, he and Coach Strauss have, they typically find a way to cobble the pitching staffs together. And they typically do a really good I mean, job. They, of they build from the back to yeah, be a little more sure. generous to them about it. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of the questions, you know, that, that I have too, is what do you do on the on the back end with Luke Boyd not there anymore? But they, they have done a really good job building bullpens. They're really comfortable having uh, one of those varied bullpens that is a little fluid with, with roles and, and the way they use their arms. Um, so maybe that's the path forward for them. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of wanting a little more of a, a workhorse in the front of the rotation. I'm sure they take it. If one guy, one of those guys emerges, I'm not saying they're averse to that idea, but just, I probably need to disassociate myself with the idea that this team is going to be one that uh, needs that. And will have that because I think we'll be just fine. Uh, without it but if I'm going to sit here and nitpick a little bit on on what we're going to do here it's okay do you have a Luke Boyd type guy who was dominant on the back end last year uh, in a stopper role and then are you going to have a guy who can go toe-to-toe on Fridays you know when you're going to face Tanner Witt for example uh, on a Friday Uh, you know nobody's probably gonna be better than Tanner Witt but do you have somebody who can who can credibly go toe-to-toe with him on Fridays that's kind of the question and we'll obviously have to see. Yeah, they to me they just need to find their Luke Boyd or their Kyle Hill, who in 2019 didn't allow an earned run as the closer. Um, you know, Luke Boyd wasn't an All-American, at least for us. I can't speak to the many college baseball outlets there are with All-American teams, uh, but he was pitching at a an incredibly high level. So if they can find that kind of guy again, I, I think that things will fall into place around them because they do return a pair of, of players, uh, you know, in Thomas and Helton that combined for 24 starts last year and they bring in an experienced transfer or two. And like, so there's just a lot of experience on the pitching staff and no, they're unless, you know, somebody makes a jump, 
they don't have the guy that stand that, that stands out as a traditional Friday starter, but if you have three solid, four solid starters plus somebody that is lights out at the back end, like I think that's a winning combination in college baseball. Is that an Omaha combination? Like, I mean, that's a totally different question, but that's a winning combination. And for a team that uh, was kind of bubbly, even before that slide started for Baylor, it was never like they were firmly on the right side in the tournament. There was always going to be a, a fight to the finish um, for them to, to take that next step and then be a, a solidly tournament team compete at the upper end of the big 12 like i think that would be a a strong foot forward into 2022 for for the bears you know and if and if the offense ends up being as good as we think it could be um again we've talked about this other teams it's it's probably not going to have to be a pitching staff that does a a whole lot of heavy lifting it remains to be seen if this offense is as good as the one they had in 19 just a quick accounting of that i mean well let me just put it this way you know that team had nick lofton and shay lang lears on it and you know, those guys, in terms of just the numbers that they were putting up, I mean, they might have been like the fourth or fifth best guy in the lineup at, a lot of times. That was a team that had Davis Wenzel, who was probably a guy I'm shorting in terms of Baylor having big name guys. But, you know, Andy Thomas and Richard Cunningham and Cole Herring had a 12 home run year. Um, you know, so that was an offensive hit 310 as a group um, was really, really deep. You know, they're, they're, they got a lot from a lot of different guys. Uh, this offense, I think, can do similar things. I, you know, again, losing Andy Thomas, as we talked about in, in the podcast interview, you know, I, that, that's a hole to fill. They're going to need somebody to fill it at catcher, even if he doesn't put up that those types of offensive numbers. But when you talk about McKenzie and Trey Richardson, who has gotten, you know, put on a good weight and maybe a little bit stronger, hits a little more power, Jack Pineda, uh, you know, Kyle Nevin, Chase Wesner, um, you're talking about a pretty good group there. So I think there's an opportunity for, for this Baylor team to put themselves in a position where the pitching is, is not going to have to be uh, anything like what we expect from Texas, for example, who might have the best pitching staff in the country. Um, it probably won't have to be that for Baylor to achieve many of its big picture goals. Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely agree with that. Like, uh, I, I think we can definitely safely say that this Baylor team like when we put together projected field of 64, like we will put them in uh, the field there to, to start the year. And, and I like the, I think we both like the upside, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see who grows into some of these bigger roles. Cause some players are going to need to, uh, to take a step forward uh, into, into this new season. All right. Um, so with that, Joe, we're going to transition from talking about Baylor uh, to talking about Thanksgiving. You uh, you ran down some some rapid fire food questions uh, with Coach Rod there, uh, and now I I have to ask you the same question we asked asked Coach Rod, and that is what is what is your favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal? Well. It's a good question because it, I think I have some, some caveats, which is always fun when you ask someone a nice open broad question, like, well, let me ask some follow-up questions or give me some caveats. I guess I would say generally um, whatever we're doing with mashed potatoes is probably my favorite. Just generally, if you force me to answer with, with one firm answer, it's probably mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes is a very high floor food, uh, but also has a high ceiling um, in terms of what are we doing? Are we, you know, how is it seasoned? Are we doing some sort of cheesy potatoes? Um, are we doing skins in uh, there's a lot of variables there that I think can raise or, or lower the, the ceiling of potato, but it's, it's a pretty high floor. So I'll probably go potatoes. You can always bank on that. 
But if the turkey, if, if you're doing something interesting with the turkey, like I've had turkeys that, you know, were, were marinated a certain way, or, you know, of course I, I've had the, the fried turkeys, which I'm not like over the moon about necessarily, but it's an interesting take. So if we're doing something really interesting with the way the turkey is seasoned, like maybe it's not the, 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 the coolest answer to give to this question. Like it's not the most foodie answer, but it can be the turkey if it's just, if it's just done right. But the problem with turkey is that, you know, I think, I think we're all in this boat where, you know, when you're making a turkey, you only get one shot at it. And I've had a lot of pretty mediocre turkey in my life. It dries out pretty easy. And if it's not seasoned well, it's extremely bland. Um, so there's a lot of risk with turkey. But if it's done well, like the, the turkey can be the star of the show. The struggle with turkey, and I say this as someone that likes turkey, like most people are only cooking a turkey this way once a year. There's just not a lot of opportunity for you to perfect your craft at this and there's a whole lot of time for you to forget any lesson you might have learned the year before. So it's, uh, you know, if you, yeah, you, you gotta, you really gotta be trusting the person that is putting together the bird. If, uh, if you're going on a traditional roast turkey route, if you're doing one of the more, like if you're frying it or whatever, I think sometimes that stuff can be more forgiving or if you're putting a dry brine on it, but you know, the people that are doing that generally are a little more invested than somebody that's just like, well, we're going to roast the turkey because that's what we've always done. Uh, so that the dry brine person is definitely doing a lot of like advanced work to, to make that happen. And it's probably going to taste pretty good in the end. You know, I will take, um, you know, my dad, um, it, it, love you, dad. Uh, he doesn't listen. I'm just, you know, it's one of those things where you got to cover your bases, you know, um, but he, <laughs> what he does really well, the turkey the turkeys that he cooks are always um, cooked well in terms of they're not, I mean, let's, let's be honest. The biggest risk with turkey is, is drying out, especially when you're talking about the white meat. His turkeys are always really moist. And so I don't, so that's great. And I think I'd rather, if you gave me the choice of like really flavorful, but a little bit dry and not quite cooked exactly right, or just really well cooked and a little bland, I would probably take that uh, because you can always kind of play around with it like at the table, you know, whether it's put a little cranberry sauce on it or mix it with some potatoes or just add some table salt and spices or whatever. Um, I feel like you can do a little more with that versus the, versus the alternative. So I, I will take it. Not the most flavorful turkey though, is what I'm saying. Like it's, his tend to be pretty bland, but they are cooked well. And so I think I'll, I'll think I'll take that trade off. That is, uh, that is certainly fair. Um, Okay, so now that we've covered the basics, I guess I, I should answer myself. Um, so I'm, I'm a stuffing guy. Uh, you know, turkey is, is you know, again, if, if we're cooking the turkey well, it's good. And frankly, even if it's not, like, we're just going to put gravy on it. And as long as the gravy's good, like, we can we can cover up some deficiencies there. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm always interested in the stuffing situation. And, uh, you know, anything that's, like, kind of, veering away from the traditional thanksgiving sides beyond that i'm I'm interested in so like if you're if you're bringing a new recipe to the table like i you know what i i've seen green beans before you know like but if if you've got something new that you're doing with brussels sprouts i'm interested in that so uh i'm into those things yeah that's a a good point My, my family went um for a while there my family went completely off the board and we did um Mexican food for a few years, I would say probably four or five years. Now, as my dad and stepmom have, have gotten a little bit older and I think, you know, now they've got my, my brother had a baby. So they've got grandchildren or grandchild. 
anyway, so I think they're starting to kind of go back to wanting that traditional Thanksgiving because they're in the mode of like, okay, we're making memories now. We've got a baby and we're, you know, all the, all of our kids are married now. And so they've kind of gone back to that. But what it was like, me and my siblings who were all young adults or college age kids, they, they definitely veered into like, let's just do something completely different. And that was kind of nice for a while because my, 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 my dad and stepmom do Mexican food pretty, pretty well being people who lived in Houston for a long time. So that, that was kind of nice, but um, you know, that, that is obviously just a whole different genre there. It's not necessarily just adding something different, different to the mix. Right. Always interesting though. Uh, okay, so having having addressed that, Joe, now we are going to do this. We, we played a game two years ago. We didn't do it last year. I'll just blame COVID. I don't, I don't know precisely what we were thinking last year at this time. But we're going to sign college baseball programs, things. Mine are all programs. I don't want to speak for Joe, but I'm pretty sure they're all going to be programs. Two different parts of the Thanksgiving Day. Now, two years ago, we did this with specific meal items. Uh, so, like the turkey was Texas or something. That that is a real example. But uh, maybe the stuffing was uh, was Oregon State, and then we explained why. Well, we're going to do something similar, just with parts of the Thanksgiving Day as opposed to individual dishes at the meal. So, uh, we're looking at the meal the parade, the football, uh, the turkey trot. We've got naps. And uh, although Friendsgiving doesn't take place on the day, Joe put it on the list. So we're also going to include uh, Friendsgiving. So we've got, what, like half a dozen things there. Uh, and we're going to gonna assign programs to each, each one of these items of the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, explain our thinking. So, Joe, let's start with the main event. And that's the meal. What do you got for the meal? Well, you, uh, you, you alluded to it there with it being the turkey. I think the meal is Texas uh, for a lot of the same reasons that Texas was the turkey. It's the constant in college baseball through the decades. Powers have come and gone in college baseball and Texas has remained. Uh, I know there are some people in their cars screaming about how they've been more consistent lately. I hear you. Um, however, just in Omaha last year, they were in Omaha a few years before that. And in terms of consistency, like they, they have just always been there. Um, some, some dips into Omaha more times than anyone else. That is correct. So through, through the decades, it has been Texas, um, as other powers have risen and and fallen around them. Um, and the Thanksgiving meal is that like, it is the, obviously the centerpiece of the day, regardless of, of what you do with that, that meal, it is the, 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 the reason for being on the on the holiday is to is to get together and, and have the meal with your your friends and, and family and, and however whatever form that that takes and so um, to me that is that is Texas and college baseball. So I think we're thinking along the same lines here, but my answer is Mississippi State, and basically I'm just taking a slightly more recent point of view on it. Like I think everything you said about uh, what the meal is, uh, I agree with. But right now, Mississippi State, reigning national champs, they're the focal point of uh, a lot of things in the sport this year. And uh, the meal is the, the focus of the day. So for me, it is, uh, it's the Bulldogs. No, it's a good answer. Like if you're, if you're going to, um, it just like you said, just different approaches on it. But if you're going to pick a, obviously the reigning national champs, but also if you're just going to pick the program that has probably most um, represented the last several years of, of college baseball, I think that's your choice. All right, so we'll move on to uh, to the parade. 
And uh, for the parade, I uh, I stayed in the SEC West. Um, the, the parade I look at as uh, I wrote down flashy, exciting, and historic. So like the Macy's parade is, I don't know, it's 150 years old or something. So it's something that stood the test of time. But, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, it has changed over the years. You know, they're, they're, you know, they've got the, the performances, and the balloons and everything. There's a lot going on there. It's a lot of flash uh, going with the, uh, the history. So I'm going to LSU. Uh, LSU certainly has stood the test of time in college baseball and they uh you know that they're they're always in the mix there's always something exciting going on there in baton rouge uh so i'm going i'm going lsu for the parade a good choice i i i i follow your your logic there so i think that's a good choice i took a little different approach where the parade is historic um has been around a long time it is something everyone associates with thanksgiving However, probably doesn't have the relevance that it used to. So I'm going USC as the parade. Because I think for people who really pay attention to college baseball, I'm not saying pick up, you know, you know, ask, you know, a college kid at a college baseball game to to list off a list of college baseball powers, but someone who, you know, knows a little bit about the history of it, USC will come out of their mouth pretty quickly. Um, But as we've detailed numerous times on this, on this show, USC is just not what it once was. However, it is still very much closely associated with college baseball, rightfully so. Like the history is unimpeachable. Um, and I feel that way about the parade. Like it's very closely associated with Thanksgiving. I told the story on the, uh, in the interview with Coach Rod, you know, that the parade is kind of a thing that everyone kind of gravitates to. And I'm guilty of this too. I'll wake up the morning of and I'll flip the parade on and, you know, I'll think like, oh, this is, this is great. And then 15 minutes later, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit ready to move on. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like maybe a little bit, uh, it's historic, but maybe a little bit past its, um, past its prime there. And so now the hope with USC, of course, is that, uh, that will, uh, not always be the case and USC will, will be resurgent. And certainly there are signs of that heading in the right direction under Jason Gill, not least of which is, is recruiting. Um, they've also just been a steadier program in the last couple of years. So hopefully that is, is changing. I would, I would love to see a historic power like that rise again, but right now they kind of are that, that, uh, that thing that you think of pretty closely with college baseball that just doesn't quite have the luster that it had in decades past. Another interpretation for the parade could have been like that thing that's really popular with little kids. I don't know which program mm. fits that, but that is another uh, another you know people that have little kids probably find the parade a little bit more relevant than you indeed. And I do, Joe. Totally agree. Like, yeah, it's definitely oh, it is definitely like I remember those <laughs> days with my my younger siblings. And and by the way, like they would kind of mirror the same adage because I, I am I may have mentioned this in the show before I am much older than my siblings I'm nine and 11 years older than my, my two siblings and so I was you know in my high school years when they were still pretty little and they would get very excited about the parade and they'd flip that sucker on in like 15 minutes they're they've both left the room and it's just me sitting there and I'm like how did this how did this happen you know I, I, I don't I did not want this on like I want to watch the crappy lions game at 11 a.m or whatever but um Getting, but I agree, you know, with kids, it's a, it's a little bit of a different, um, little bit of a different experience. So I, I'm with you there. Well, since you mentioned the Lions, uh, football games, what do you, what do you got for football games? So um, <laughs> this is, this is probably the most, I think it's a good 
justification for this choice. I just have to like really navigate how I want to explain this because so my choice for the football games is whatever the Cinderella du jour is in Omaha. Because to me, the football games are a thing that most can agree on, even people who don't like football. So kind of different from the parade, like the football games are often on wherever I am at Thanksgiving. That goes for my family, whether it was with my mom growing up or my dad and stepmom or uh, now my, my, my wife's family when we've been there, uh, friends' houses for Thanksgiving, family friends' houses, like the football is always on and people who don't normally watch football are at least moderately engaged in it. And so I think of that as the Cinderella team in Omaha where we haven't had a true one of these in a while, but when, when a team that just comes out of nowhere gets to Omaha, uh, they get adopted by just the general population, you know, the, the locals that are there, the, the big, the baseball fans who are just knocking this off a bucket list. Like one team, even if it's not a true Cinderella, one team kind of gets adopted by those neutral observers. And so I think that's kind of like the football games on Thanksgiving, where it's like, ah, you know, I don't watch a lot of football, but this is what you do on Thanksgiving is you, you watch the football games, even if it's the, goodness gracious, we're still watching the Lions every Thanksgiving. But, you know, so you're, you're, you're still, you're doing that, even if it's not something you are inclined to do. So if you're a neutral fan in Omaha, you're going to root for a team that you wouldn't normally be inclined to root for, just because it's kind of what you do. So yeah, my interpretation on, on uh, football is that it's like the most consistent part of the day because it's always the Lions, it's always the Cowboys, and at least lately, it's always been bad football. Um, the butt fumble, which didn't involve either of those, it was the night game 10 years ago now. Uh, that was Thanksgiving Day. Uh, that, that, was, that was when that happened. Uh, football level uh, of the NFL games, I, I don't want to speak to the Egg Bowl or whatever else gets played, but the NFL games on Thanksgiving Day never seems to be the football is all that good. And some of that is that the Lions insist on playing every Thanksgiving Day. Uh, so I'm not associating this necessarily with bad football, uh, or at least not translating bad football to bad baseball, but the most consistent part of the day. So the most consistent team in college baseball, that's Florida State. And look, if Knowles fans, you want to interpret bad football as translating to what's happening in Tallahassee right now, I'm not going to stop you. But uh, Mike Norvell's kind of turning things around a little bit, right? Uh, so, uh, but yeah, Florida State, that's my answer. Good one. Um, you know, I, I, I had forgotten or maybe didn't even know that the, uh, I'm sure I knew at the time, but the, the butt fumble was a, a Thanksgiving thing. So like between that and between the Egg Bowl a couple of years ago, where the Ole Miss player mimicked oh, a dog ball. peeing in the end zone. Yes, thank you. Which like changed their trajectory of both programs and coaching staffs <laughs> because of that, the way that game played out. Um, so between those two things, like some of the funniest uh, football memories I have of the last decade or so have come on Thanksgiving. So it, it truly is kind of a gift that keeps on giving. It's uh, it is impressive. Uh, okay. So we got naps uh, after the meal, you're taking a nap. That's what Joe says. Anyway, Joe, what do you got for naps? Yeah, I, I try to stay away from this, uh, the post meal naps um, just because naps are a dangerous game, uh, especially for me. Like I just, I'm someone who, um, you know, if I'm really gassed, like I will, you know, from having been busy or it was a late, you know, like an early morning wake up and it's late afternoon. Like I'm not totally anti naps in general, but you know, I just, the idea of like losing several hours in the middle of the day on accident, like just gives me anxiety. So like, I try to avoid this kind of thing. 
Um, so this might be a little too on the nose, um, but in terms of the post-meal naps, I tried to go with a team that is um, as much of a sleeping giant as you can, as, as maybe there can be in college baseball. I got asked at the Knoxville Super Regional by another uh, member of the media, um, you know, are there really any sleeping giants left in college baseball? And my, my short answer was no, for a couple of reasons. One is that college baseball is developed enough as an entity now. There just aren't that many of them out there, right? Secondarily is that typically the programs that have popped and come out of nowhere, you would have never guessed. Like Gary Gilmore might've been the only guy who knew what Coastal was going to be in the late nineties. And he probably, I don't know that he would have told you they could have won a national title in the late nineties. You know, you would not have picked Rice to be what it was when they were not very good and hired a junior college coach in Wayne Graham um, in the nineties. So the schools that have popped in that way, you would have never guessed. So my short answer is no, just because you, you probably won't see that team coming anyway. However, when pressed for an answer, I gave him UCF. And so that's my post-meal naps answer here. Um, they're moving to the Big 12. That helps. It's, it's a league that a little bit diminished with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, but should still be better than the American, which was already a good league. So they've got that going for them. They obviously have geography going for them. Uh, they have some history. The facility is pretty good, if not a palace. Um, so I think they've, they're a program that strikes me. And, oh, by the way, I, I, I meant to mention this, you know, we saw with football, you know, I don't know if it's a chicken or an egg situation necessarily, but when you're a good team at UCF, the administration will support you. Money will pour in. Fans will get behind you. They enjoy a winner at UCF. So I think there could be that kind of thing, but it's hard to argue that they still are sleeping a little bit. You know, they're just not as consistent, even though they've, they've won a lot of games under Greg Lovelady, no regionals since 2017. And even before Lovelady, they were, they were pretty hit and miss on getting into regionals really ever since they moved out of the Atlantic sun back in the early aughts. So I think there's just a little more ceiling for them to, to hit there. And I was thinking about this too, by the way, and you can maybe help me brainstorm if I'm missing someone or if I've, I've glossed over something here, but of the, of the baseball programs in Florida that you think of as being competitive uh, at the, at, you know, uh, teams that, that, you know, could conceivably make regional regionals in any given year or closely associated with baseball in the state of Florida. They're really the only ones that have not made a super, right? So the big three, obviously Stetson's been to a super FAU has been to a super FIU has been to a super Stetson has been to a super. Now, some of those flukier than others, FIU in, in particular, but, um, they kind of USF obviously last year. Um, they kind of stand alone in that way. And I'm not saying that's the be all and end all in terms of how you determine whether a program has made it, if you will. But, but that was kind of notable to me that they do seem to stand alone a little bit. So they're just not going to count North Florida. No, I, you know, I just, <laughs> no, no disrespect to uh, Tim Parenton or smoke Laval before him. They've had some good teams, but I, 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 I am not closely associating them with success in college baseball. <laughs> And yeah, no, no shots at Bethune Cookman, by the way. I mean, Bethune Cookman, obviously, it's a little bit different category, but I mean, they, they made a regional final. I mean, they've come as close as USF ever has, or you, yeah. I'm sorry, UCF has. It's uh, it is interesting when you think about it. Um, and yeah, obviously, it's not the best judge of success because you know it's a one off and you would prefer to have more sustained success, but. That being said, it's it's a surprise. Eventually, they're going to do it. They're going to break through. You would oh, have sure. to believe. I, I would and, add, yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably sooner than later. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know quite how 
giant they can be. I, I'll be interested to see that program once they join the Big 12. Like, what is the ceiling in Orlando? Uh, if there is a ceiling, but it, it right now certainly does seem to uh, to qualify. I um, I also don't nap uh, if I can avoid it. It's uh, it's just not my thing. Uh, Thanksgiving or, or otherwise, but. I guess people that do nap tell you it's refreshing. Um, so the refreshing thing in college baseball is, I mean, you could look at it like Joe, you said uh, the latest Omaha Cinderella. I, I think that would, you know, that would certainly fit. Um, you know, maybe this year, I know they didn't make it uh, to, to Omaha. They didn't make a super even, but old dominion, that was fun. Um, you know, maybe you were more into the Fairfield story as a little bit of a, of a refresher in college baseball. So I would say kind of pick your, your favorite uh, Cinderella there. Uh, so for me, I would probably lean towards uh, like an ODU or a La Tech uh, in, in this instance. Yeah, I'd accept that. I mean, it was really, re- I mean, it was refreshing that the, the energy we got from conference USA last year, I would say it, it was kind of nice that we were getting that kind of crest from from really good cluster of teams, you know, occasionally we'll have conferences that, you know, uh, draft off of someone's success. I, I've used the example before, but, you know, 2018, the A-Sun drafting off of Stetson, for example, um, this was not that. And so that, w- that was really refreshing last year. And I think the conference will be good again this year. And then of course, all bets are off after that, given the realignment. But um, so I, I'm hundred percent with you on that. All right. So we, uh, we got a couple more of these. We got, uh, let's go, let's go with uh, Friendsgiving, Joe, uh, something that doesn't necessarily happen on Thanksgiving. Some people probably already did it. Um, for Friendsgiving, I went with uh, Tennessee because they are old friends that have come back. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing them again on college baseball's, you know, biggest stages. Saw them in Omaha this year. Uh, welcome them back into the top 25 recently. Uh, just going back, seeing some old friends. That's that's uh, seeing Tennessee back competing for SEC titles and, and trips to Omaha and, and everything. It's a good one. I like that answer. Uh, certainly, as someone who came of age as a college baseball fan in the late '90s and early aughts, you know, it's it's funny how the I've always said that your expectations about teams, programs, things like players, kind of hardens a little bit during your formative years as a sports fan. And it takes a long time for that to wash out. Um, and I will, so I think Tennessee baseball is one of those things for me where I, they were a very, very good program in the late nineties, uh, early two thousands under Rod Delmonico. Uh, but I probably honestly think they were better than they were a little bit, just because again, those were formative years for me as a college baseball fan. So I probably overrate them a little bit kind of in the same way that, you know, I didn't understand as a kid, my formative years as a sports fan happened to be during a period of time where, for example, the Los Angeles Lakers weren't very good. It was post Magic Johnson. It was pre Kobe. Um, I was like, why are the Lakers considered to be a historic franchise? They're not any good, of course, because I just didn't have any, any knowledge of the history there. Right. So those things kind of tend to stick with you. And so Tennessee baseball is one where, you know, they just had so little success for so long. And, and, and in my mind, it just wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't right. You know, it was, it didn't feel right. They had struggled to the degree they had. So I, I'm with you. They are friends who have, who have returned from, from the wilderness. Um, so for my friends giving, so I actually, I had never done friends giving. Um, a lot of that's cause I've 
been someone who's had family across the country at, at various points. So I've typically been traveling. Um, that has not the case this year as we live now further away from family and kind of have to meet up at other times. But I actually did a Friendsgiving for the first time this year um, with mostly my, you know, my wife's friends, but, you know, we have a, a group of friends here in Durham and they came over and did a Friendsgiving uh, this past Saturday. It was the first time I'd ever done one. And I was, I was told not derisively, uh, it was just kind of a, as part of the conversation that, you know, Friendsgiving culture actually kind of peaked about 10 years ago, I guess, you know, seven, 10 years ago. And, and while they are still a thing, it definitely had like a cultural peak, if you will, which I was unaware of. I, you know, I'm just not, I'm not shocked. That was something I was not super up to date on, but that was what I was kind of told. Um, and so I went, but, oh, at the same time, by the way, this is important context. At the same time, it is a relatively new phenomenon, right? We're talking the last couple of decades that Friendsgiving has been a, a cultural thing. But while this has been happening throughout the decades, more unofficially, um, it has become kind of an official thing last couple of decades and something that is in the cultural zeitgeist, as they would say. So with that in mind, I went coastal here um, because you know, nouveau riche, new kid on the block, won a national title, you know, not quite 10 years ago, but uh, 2016. Um, but, you know, uh, has, it's been a, I don't want to say a struggle. It was a struggle last year for sure. Uh, but since then, um, has not been able to necessarily get to that peak. Um, and so if we're going to allow for the idea that Friendsgiving is still very much a thing, um, was a bigger thing, you know, uh, several years ago, um, then I think Coastal maybe fits there um, just from that standpoint, because I do still think Coastal is a thing. They have a, I wrote them as one of the 10 teams that could have a bounce back year in 2021, partially just based on the idea of like a lot went wrong last year. It can't possibly all go that wrong, but that's a team that has a talent advantage over just about everybody else in the Sun Belt, um, has history over just about everybody else in the Sun Belt. Um, that program should be better and will be better. I have confidence in that much like, Hey, you know, maybe, Friendsgiving's heyday was, you know, five to seven years ago, um, you know, in the same way that maybe Coastal never wins another national title, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate what they did as like a, a big change in college baseball and a big shift in, in the way programs like theirs thought about their place in the national scene. Also, uh, friend's trip to Myrtle Beach, you know, not, uh, not the worst idea. That's exactly right. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, all right. Last one we got here is the Turkey Trot. And Joe, I feel like the people that are out there running five, 10 Ks, half marathons, whatever, on Thanksgiving morning, uh, I got one, one word for him, overachievers. Uh, so you can attach the overachieving label to whatever overachieving program you want. Uh, but for me, especially this year coming off of a super regional appearance, I'm going to go DBU. Good answer. I, you know, I took the same approach, just to find it a little bit differently. You might say that people out running five and 10 Ks Thanksgiving morning are overachievers, over, overachievers, overachievers. I say uh, they're a little bit of, they're, they're sickos. Um, you know, um, <laughs> not that I don't, it's good exercise. It's good for you. I realize I'm in the wrong on this one. Um, so as far as sicko stuff goes, I'm going to go, I'm going to say the turkey trot is like OVC baseball. It's not for everybody. It's only, it's not for the faint of heart. It is only for the diehards or, you know, pick your low major conference of choice because th there's different brands of it, right? I mean, OVC is high offense and you don't know what you're going to get on the mound. And, you know, their teams kind of come and go is, is the dominant force in that, in that conference. But you can, you know, you look at what happened in the Metro Atlantic last year, and that's a pretty pitching heavy league, pre pitching heavy league. 
Um, the Southland is, is kind of a grab bag of teams at this point. You can say the same about the WAC. So I would say low major baseball generally. Obviously, the OBC is a, is a, is a big example of that, just given how, how wacky it can be and how offensive it can be. But so the, the, the turkey trot is, is for the hardcores only. And if, for folks like me who are looking at the, you know, watching low major baseball at, um, you know, on college baseball weekends throughout the season, I, I think that is the equivalent. On, uh, on that definition, I think it would be UC San Diego, because as uh, as mm. detailed here previously on the podcast, that was that was the last game on ESPN Plus, like every weekend was UC San Diego playing somebody. UC San Diego baseball is like the, uh, the Mac football of college baseball, where it's like the uh, realization of what's going on in Mac football is like 50% greater among the general sport watching <laughs> population simply because the games are on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, yes, like if you were if you were up at midnight on Sunday or Saturday, and you could, uh, or I guess it was Friday and Saturday, UC San Diego was at home. Yeah, it could, could close out your night watching that. Or I, I wish Hawaii would get on it, uh, mm. get on ESPN Plus more often because uh, I certainly would watch that. You know, I so serious, com- like well, it's not serious, but like more more genuine conversation on this on the silliness is I'm actually considering. You know, I've been a YouTube TV subscriber for, for a while and, and generally like the product. I don't have any qualms with it. Um, I don't like how it plays with my Roku TV all the time. There, there are some buggy things with how it plays with Roku, but I also have an older Roku TV. But um, I'm, I'm actually considering a switch to Sling uh, ahead of next season. And by the way, if, if not a sponsor, could be not a sponsor. Yeah, bring it on Sling. But, uh, you know, by the way, listeners, if you have hard opinions on that, like, you know, where to find me on social and whatnot. But um considering a switch to sling you know i would there 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 are differences in what's offered channel wise but the big thing would be sling is one of the only places that offers pac-12 network um i would lose some things like btn i think is not on sling not available on sling i could be wrong but i think that's true but for one you just get more i think with pac-12 network than you do btn because you can also always subscribe to btn plus which is frankly where most of their games are anyway um but a big part of it, honestly, is that on Sundays, and Sundays are kind of busy because we're wrapping up top 25 stuff. We always have to have our call, you know, Sunday evening to rank teams, yada, yada, yada. But I, I'm like you, where it gets to a certain time of the afternoon and it's like, well, okay, the early games are wrapping up. There might be a straggler or two, but there does reach a point where you're just kind of like following Pac-12 games on Twitter or game tracker or something, because that's just what you got. I mean, maybe some big West streams you can find online, but those aren't available typically on an app on the TV. It's like watching it on your phone or laptop. So, you know, I'm in a position where considering changing my, my streaming provider, just for the sake of of getting those games and being able to not only watch more Pac-12 baseball, but also just create a more full uh, watching experience in terms of how much I can, how much I can watch in a single day. Well, I mean, I, I guess the one thing I would say to that, as someone who's 100% not considering doing that, uh, <laughs> is that, like, I know that generally you can, like, you're not contracted with with Selene or whatever, but just how much longer is the Pac-12 network going to be a thing in a post-Larry Scott world as we move into, you know, new rights deals, like, in 2025, is that going to be a thing? Um, but yeah, I mean, got... Almost- Almost certainly no. Yeah, you got you got two, maybe three seasons to go with it, so maybe that's worth it. Yeah, I mean, you you hit on the thing though. It's like if if this had been five or seven years ago, and I mean that in terms of like in terms of the media landscape we were in, like I I would not be going to sign up for 
I don't know, this is a bad example because no one has Spectral Network, but Spectrum TV, switching it from Direct TV um, for the same thing, because then you're locked into something that you will have to like beg someone on the phone to get out of, you know. So the lack of the lack of a contract is really helpful there because I do feel like I could just I could just pivot back. But but I think I'm right in like the technical aspects of you know the 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 BTN games are great when they're on the the over the air channel, but a lot of their games are that separate BTN plus service. Whereas Pac-12 Net, I think if you've got Pac-12 Net, I think it gives you access to a lot more. Um, as far as that goes, obviously I'll have to, you know, I'll have to do a little more digging there, but, uh, uh, but it's certainly part of my, my calculus. Or for the Pac-12 fans out there, uh, who, who have thoughts on the matter can find Joe at, uh, Joe Healy BA on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Ted Cahill. Don't necessarily have to at me on, uh, on advice about slain or YouTube TV, but, uh, that that's where I'm at on Twitter. Uh, all right, so that's uh, that's our Thanksgiving traditions. Uh, if there were baseball programs, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll probably keep playing this game every few Thanksgivings because uh, I don't know, it, it's uh, it's a fun, goofy thing to do on a short week here. So hopefully, you all enjoyed it, and if you did, make sure to uh, leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or even if you're listening on Spotify. Uh, just slide on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review if you're so inclined. Uh, we appreciate reviews, likes, subscribes, all the rest of that good stuff. It, it does help other people to find the content. And really, we're just thankful on this uh, week of being thankful uh, for all of you for listening to us throughout the off season. Uh, we'll be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast, which is presented by Rap Soto. Until then, Thank you for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.